This month's sponsor of the podcast, Spamming Zero, is customer with a K, K-U-S-T-O-M-E-R.com. Go check customer out today. They're amazing. They are your top-rated CRM for customer service. Finally, a CRM meant for customer service. They deliver fast, rich experiences to your customers with omni-channel messaging, a unified customer view, and AI-powered automations like their AI chat, which comes with their products. Go check them out. They offer a free trial. They also have a slew of CX tools for customer experience professionals like yourself that you can use as well. And on top of that, they have brands like Glossier, Rappi, Skims, Ring, Hopper, and Untuck It all on their brand and using their products. They offer different types of solutions like self-service, artificial intelligence, of course, the CRM for customer service, and just customer service in general. So they actually can provide help desk features as well. Go check them out. They're amazing. And they're specifically meant for you. That's customer with a K, K-U-S-T-O-M-E-R.com. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spanning Zero. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Spamming Zero. I'm your host, James Gilbert. I am excited because we are joined by Sammy Noir. Welcome to the show, Sammy. Thanks for having me. Sammy, give the listeners a little bit of your background. Yeah, I'm a, I started out as a researcher a long time ago, before customer experience became a thing. Doing market research, getting data, reporting the news, writing reports. Similar to college work, except I got paid to do it. Um <laughs> And then I graduated to customer research, and I found that to be more fulfilling, more fun. And then, you know, delved into process improvement, lean, Six Sigma, got a black belt, all that stuff. I thought that that was a lot of fun, uh, great learning experience. And then eventually married both disciplines, the process improvement, lean world, holistic thinking, systems thinking, and research, customer research, so that we can gather the data, report the news, but do that for a purpose. And the purpose being make the business better than it is, uh, make, make it better today than it was yesterday, and then enrich the experiences and the lives of the customers that you serve. So that is, that's my background. And it's, you know, kind of researchy, kind of process improvement-y, but I like to call myself a jack of all trades, kind of a chameleon. <laughs> I love it. You know, this, it, this is true, true story. When I was a, a, a young lad growing up and I started hearing people talk about the black belt six Sigma. I actually genuinely thought it was a form of martial arts. Like (laughs) no kidding. I was seriously like, I was convinced that there was all these business people doing martial arts. (laughs) That is not why we're here. Uh, to talk about martial arts. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I mean, you never do martial arts, Sammy. I, a long time ago, I do have a red belt with two black stripes, a second degree red belt. So one degree away from black belt in Taekwondo. But don't ask me to do any of that now because it would be really embarrassing. Don't mess with Sammy. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> These days I wear a leather belt. <laughs> all right. So Sammy, you, you previously worked at Medallia. For all of our listeners out there, if you're not familiar with Medallia, I might be surprised by that, but just in case if you're not, they are one of the leading customer experience platforms that are out there. One of the pioneers that started doing surveys, for example, and a lot of the research data 
as it relates to customer experience. Sammy worked there on the research stuff. Before I ask you the big question, right? I'd love for you to talk a little bit about like what were your biggest learnings just about customer experience in general when you're doing research and you're focused on the data side of the house with a big company like Medallia who has access to all this information across so many different industries and organizations. Oh man, one of the biggest, uh, so I was a customer for a long time as well as a user became a, before I became a Medallion. But I would say that the biggest thing that I picked up while I was there in talking with clients was that, I mean, there is a an immense amount of data and information so data is information, it's information is data that we can use. It's contextual and there's an immense amount of it. But so many times I encountered clients that were paralyzed by it. You know, the good news is it's in real time. The bad news is it's in real time. <laughs> and what that really means is, yeah, congratulations. We're gathering the data, reporting, we're reporting the feedback in real time. But that also requires you to do something about it. Don't just report the news. It's not good enough to just report the news. And don't just look at the data for the sake of looking at data with pie charts and bar charts and Pareto charts and all that stuff. you got to be able to do something with it. It's got to be contextual to the business and down to the user that's looking at the data in whatever role that they're in. If they're a CMO or if they're a COO or if they're a director or a manager or someone on the front line, it's got to be relevant to them. And there's so many times where we did a great job of delivering that information and making it democratized so that anybody could see it whenever they felt like it. But a lot of times, those clients that I worked with are like, Sam, this is great. It's available on my phone, but what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> the actionable side of the house is like... Yeah. Like, what's the action? So 2014, 2015, as a CMO at a young startup, and we were competing with Medallia, actually, as a, as a customer experience platform. And I remember the fascination around all of these platforms. There was Qualtrics, Medallia, Satmetrics... Those are the three big ones, right? And I remember so many people talking about, I mean, they're providing all this survey data, but it's not actionable. So like we started like this big trend with our product at the time where we're like, okay, well, everything that we do has to provide an action then in the reporting. So like we had these like next best recommendation actions that you could take. And it was kind of like the AI of CX a little bit built in there, which was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. It was kind of ahead of its time, I think. I think that's one of the reasons why Cisco really wanted it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So they ended up buying the whole thing. And uh, that was a good outcome for many of us that worked there. But I'm with you 100% because I've been in the data world pretty much my whole career uh, before I became a CMO. Like that's actually what helped build my career into being a CMO today was that data side of the house. And it was it's always fascinating to me to hear like others talk about this because creating action with data is much more difficult than people realize. So from your perspective, like you actually got to take some of this data and you got to give recommendations to your team internally on things that needed to change. And I'm curious, like what is your approach and what would you give advice to others that need to create action with their data? Anytime you analyze large amounts of data and hopefully your platform is helping you to categorize it and look for patterns. But as you look for those patterns, I kind of think of this investing, I have this this uh, visual image, this image of uh, Inspector Clouseau. It's an investigation. So you've got your magnifying glass and you're looking at the data and you know it's never gonna tell you what to do. It's gonna point you in a direction. And you know, text analytics is a great example of a great tool. It's a great technology. Everybody's got a flavor of it, but it's never gonna give you the answer to everything you need. 
It's only going to point you in a direction. And as you investigate and you look for pat, you spot some patterns, you might want to double click on a pattern to see where it takes you. And it's never going to jump out and say, oh, yes, you need to change the, you need to add a, a slot to the buffet line. That's going to improve the experience. It's not going to tell you that stuff. It's going to point you in a direction that says, um, they tend to be less satisfied when they go through the buffet line at this point in time during the day. And it's these demographics. And so let's double click on the time of day for the store that you're looking at. Or let's double click on the demographic to see what they're thinking, what they're saying. So it's going to give you pointers on what to look at and maybe investigate further. And that's the approach that I like to take whenever I spoke with clients and gave them advice on how to analyze this massive amount of data. Take the time to look at it in layers, like layers of a wedding cake. Start at the high level, right? You get the big number and then drill down from that big number to some part of the business that you care about the most and see what the data is telling you. And then double click on a couple of areas if you spot some patterns and see what the data tells you there. And it's going to point you in a direction. Eventually, it's going to get you closer to the answer. It's never going to give you the answer, but it'll get you closer to it so that you feel a little bit more comfortable. It's not as much of a guessing game. You still might have to take an educated guess on, on a decision you need to make, but at least it's an educated guess as opposed to completely blind faith. And that's that's what data is supposed to do for you. If you don't mind, I'd like to take a little take a little minute or two to give some examples of this. Yeah, sure. I think one of the most relatable examples that I can give. And I say re I say relatable because I think it's one of the most common things that people in in the, the business world try to look at. I'm going to use marketing as an example. Now, at the highest level, you're measured as a CMO or a leader of marketing, you're measured by market share, growth rate, CAC, all these KPIs that are very unique to business growth, you know, CAC to LTV ratio, all those things. But at the highest level, it's how much pipeline is created by marketing and how much revenue is produced by that pipeline that was created. Like ultimately, those are the two big measures. Now, if all we do is look at how much pipeline was created and how much revenue was created, we're actually not going to know which channels we should invest in. So this is a perfect example of how we have to dive a layer deeper. Now we have to get into attribution, right? We have to look at, all right, which channels are driving that pipeline? Which channels are converting that pipeline? And then what are we doing in the sell cycle to actually convert the pipeline into closed revenue? And most people can understand these concepts. This gives us a better layer in knowing, all right, well, as a CMO, I can go back to that data and I can say, all right, we need to adjust X. And we need to ramp up why, because it's going to likely yield a better result for us. And so often people stay at this high level and they don't dive deeper. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, like if you're a young startup, for example, and you're not looking at those dive deepers, right, of the data, it's going to be really tough to know hey, this is where I need to improve. Or you could be thinking that you're doing the right thing. <laughs> And it actually could be the wrong thing. And you may not find out for six months because you're not diving deeper in the data. So there's always this like healthy balance of analysis paralysis is what it's called, like measuring too much. But I think there's a healthy measure of like, you need to understand that there's reasons why you need to dive deeper for your own function. And customer experience professionals have to do the same thing. What you're presenting to your executives and your board and even like the rest of your C-suite function is not the layer that you need you need to stay focused on it needs to be deeper because you are ultimately going to have to make the call on like 
well, maybe I need to get rid of a piece of technology that's costing us a ton. We need to implement something different. And another good example of this, I'll use Flip as an example. We just rolled out a new dashboard and analytics uh, part of our, our product. It's like an amplified version of it. And we just had a customer call just yesterday, actually, and we were telling him about it and I was talking to him a little bit about it and he pulls up the dashboard in the portal and he's like, man, this is this is great. I'm so glad I have access to this data. But like, how can I make sense of it? Right. So I also think that there's a layer of education that needs to happen with the data. You may yeah. not always know what you're looking at. But you can certainly have people stay focused on educating others around that so that you can make sense of it. And those are your, you know, data scientists. Those are your researchers like yourself. Those are your ops people um, that can actually make sense of the data and give you recommendations as well. So that's why we're seeing like the ops function in businesses skyrocket as well. I've seen that too. You know, back to your uh, your examples, the thought that comes to mind immediately is it's the concept of inputs and outputs. You know, there's a the function y equals f of x. That's the generic function y equals f of x. Y being the the intended output that we want to look at or the the result that you want to achieve. And so why if y is the output that I intend to achieve, then the question I need to ask myself is what are the inputs? that make this output what it is. And so if you start at that high level, that that top level part of the pyramid that we tend to look at, that's your why. That's the, I would like to have an influence on CAC. Okay, so what makes CAC happen? Is it blind faith? Is it the temperature? Or is it something in the business or some behavior, either behavior, process, or technology, or, or combination of all of the above that makes this happen? And what are those drivers and what are they looking at? What are they looking looking like in terms of the data? So diving deeper helps you get there. It's just that I think sometimes, in some cases, businesses forget those facts that, you know, the overall why metric is driven by a bunch of inputs and it's understanding which inputs are driving it. And there are probably some inputs that drive it more than others. And so what are the patterns happening there? And that's what we need to look at. So, and in so many cases, lots of programs use a, like a beacon metric. And it's perfectly fine to have that sort of, that North Star indicator that tells you whether you're going in a certain direction. You know, are we going the right direction or the, or the wrong direction? Or do we just need to keep plowing forward? The beacon metric is supposed to do that at the brand level, the company level. And that's where executives tend to focus on. But we as practitioners, as researchers or operations people, we need to be able to connect that beacon metric to the things that make that beacon metric move up or down and to tell you whether you're going in the right direction or not. The programs that succeed are able to do that. They're able to do that from multiple perspectives, not just from the client point of view, which is where your feedback comes in, but also from the business point of view. And you know, are the business indicators lining up with what customers perceive? And there may be a gap in time in that perception. And so depending on the business that you're in and whatever products you're selling. So there may be a, a delay in what they perceive from when you operate certain things. But there should be both sides of those of that coin is the, the customer's point of view and the business's point of view. And then um, one thing that I have seen lately is, and I don't, it's, it's, I think it's gaining some traction, but it's still kind of an unknown to many, is there's a company in Europe that I uh, noticed that's doing this thing called process mining. Essentially, what they're doing is they're keeping tabs on how they operate 
on behalf of their clients. They're so good at keeping tabs of their own operation that they're essentially leveraging their own data. They have mountains of data like most companies do, but they just happen to do a really good job of um, keeping track of how they work, how often they work, who's doing what, so that they're able to, um, they still do their traditional surveys, but they don't rely just on those as their indicators of whether they're succeeding or not. They look at how the business operates deep within their data to understand how can we be more or less efficient in any one area? And let's take a look at that. So I think process mining is probably like the next, maybe the next frontier that nobody's talking about. That's a really good point. From my experience too, there's so many organizations that struggle just like architecting the data to even get to that high level view. And then to like dive deeper the architecture of the data is not in place but by identifying what your north star metric is you can work backwards from that you know and that's what can actually help you architect your data model i hate to like keep using marketing as an example here but sometimes the funnel is one of the easiest ways for people to grasp the visual of this if you work backwards from the total amount of like deals that you need to have in a year to hit your goal Okay, that's your North Star. We need X amount of deals. And you look at like just best practices on, on a close rate of a conversion. Let's say it's 30%, which is pretty standard across most industries. So then you take that number and you do backwards funnel progression. And you basically say, all right, now we're going to divide the total number that we have and we're going to divide it by the 30%. And that's going to give us how many of the next phase of the funnel we're going to need. And then we're going to take the next conversion rate. We're going to divide that number by it. And we're going to keep going up until we reach the top of the funnel. And mm -hmm. that top of funnel is then going to tell us, all right, well, we have to have this many people visit our website. We have to convert on it at three, 4%. And then from there, we have to convert leads and MQLs and the whole nine, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of businesses can do the same thing. You can look at subscribers if you're in the direct-to-consumer world. Uh, look at subscribers. Look at how many net new customers you have how much you're converting those on the website. And then you can dive deeper into the channels that are driving those things, like with paid media. Is it your social media? Like a lot of direct-to-consumer businesses have like an e-commerce store directly in their social media platforms. That's probably what's driving a lot of your traffic. Are you converting those, right? I think there's so many different ways you can go about this and architecting the data can sometimes be difficult because people are thinking, well, how should I model it, right? And I just want to make sure everyone hears this part. There is no such thing as one size fits all. You must architect the data so that it is the best model for your business. And I got news for you. Just because you're a direct-to-consumer business does not mean that the model is right for you if another direct-to-consumer business is using that model. <laughs> yeah. It definitely could be, but you have to decide that for yourself. You have to decide if this is going to help you measure the things that you need to measure. And I think that that's another big mistake that people make um, with data. I want to ask you, what is your hot take right now? When you look at all of your experience that you've had, um, and maybe it's like related to what we're talking about right now, but what's your hot take? What's something that you fundamentally believe that you think a lot of others would be like, Sammy, I don't know. <laughs> the provocative question. It's kind of related. It's going to make me sound like a Luddite. I'm not a Luddite. Like I, I, I do like, to, I use technology like everybody else does, but I'm not big on AI. I do believe it is going to help us, but I don't believe it's going to be this silver bullet for businesses the way it's being pushed as and talked about a lot. And I know it's crazy talking about it now because, you know, <laughs> you can't get away from like the chat GPT discussion and the being and all that stuff. And it's like, oh, God, you know, 
are we a stone throw away from like the Terminator and Skynet? Is it going to be like that? Or is it going to be like the Jetsons? They're going to do everything for us. Like, can we stop bullshitting ourselves? I mean, I think it's a good thing. I think AI is going to help us. It's going to help people make better decisions and it's going to help do things, us do, make us, we can do things a little bit better, more efficiently. Repetitive tasks. Yes. But is it the ultimate answer? Is it so advanced that it's going to think for us? No. It's not, and it never will be. There are certain professions that may be threatened at some point, but I do think that those of us that are in the knowledge work space, there's still a place for us. <laughs> Humans I, will still be needed. I couldn't agree more. I think this has probably actually been the most common hot take that we've had on the podcast this year is, mm. is this. And I, I, I say the same thing any anytime I ever hear it, and that's there is no such thing that technology itself can can do the things that humans can. Now, technology can certainly be faster at computing things. Sure. It can certainly be faster at maybe even finding data. Sure. But what it cannot do is it cannot take the human aspect of comprehension, creativeness, and mash it together. It can it can it can certainly get somewhat close, mm -hmm. right? Like Sammy, what if I were to tell you that I could deep fake myself? It would sound like my voice and my my own facial expressions if I gave it enough enough stuff right and it, it could deep fake me right yeah sure that can happen but there's ethics behind that stuff as well so you have to remember that it will never replace humans it just won't i don't believe that it will i don't believe it's gonna get so crazy to where like you know people are gonna not have jobs i certainly think though to relate to your hot topic i certainly think that people in certain roles should adopt it helping them be more efficient and better at what they do. Yeah, I agree. Like, so like, you know, you talked about like, it can definitely compute things, right? The calculating massive amounts of data to arrive at, a, at an answer. It can do that at scale that we can never do. Millions, trillions, billions, like massive amount of, of data to arrive at some conclusion. We'll never, you know, be able to beat that ability. I think there are certain functions in which it will succeed. In that, in which it will help us, it'll augment what we want to achieve. Something that requires repetitive thinking, re uh, repetitive action. You know, ingesting massive amounts of information to arrive at a conclusion to take it to the next step. AI is definitely better equipped at doing that kind of work. It can help us make decisions, but it won't make decisions for us. We can arrive at the decision with some higher level of confidence with less effort through the help of uh, national uh, natural language processing and AI and other mechanisms. So text analytics is a common tool used in, you know, feedback, data collection, and CX in the customer experience space. But it's too often, you know, and machine learning is the other term that's always thrown around. It's like, yes, um, it could teach itself. It's amazing, right? And I'm like, you can't, it could teach itself, but you still have to give it pointers. You, you still have to give have it the inputs. It. Yeah, it's not gonna like miraculously, you know, oh yes, I can I can teach myself. It's, it doesn't work that way. You still have to give it something to work with, and it's never gonna give you to the. It's never gonna get you to to the answers. It's gonna point you in the right direction, just like that investigation would have done if you analyzed things manually. Now, what you're able to do with with some platform that has that baked into it is you can do it at scale. You can do that same investigative work, but you're doing it at scale, and you're arriving to the conclusion in a much quicker time frame with a greater sense of confidence than you were to do it if you were to just do it manually. But it still requires that human decision-making aspect. 
that is never really going to go away. And um, even in repetitive functions, let's say in a, in a customer care environment where you have inbound calls coming in, we can have technology there to help us, you know, ingest that information and categorize it and even interact with those callers calling in. But I think where it tends to fail is when those interactions are are too robotic. It's like the human aspect. It isn't felt by the caller. And even if it's approximating the human aspect to the point where it's so advanced, it seems completely human. And you're not really sure if it's really a person or a robot. If it really is a robot, and the person on the other end suspects it to be a robot, but it feels so human. It almost feels disingenuous, like you're trying to fool me. So here, here at Flip, we have customers that purposefully do not want it. Like our, our product is voice, like you're talking about. They purposefully do not want it to sound too human for that very reason. Like we actually tested this a little bit with some early customers where they they had <laughs> a pretty, like you could not tell. Um, and it actually had a more negative impact with their customers. And so like, it was we, so human that people yeah. didn't like it and people don't oh. like it. And and the reason why is because like then, so I think there's a, there's a nice bridge here, right? Like automation in most channels and AI in most channels, it's meant to serve like the, some, some more of the repetitive tasks and things that are a little bit more simple to handle. And then we as consumers and customers fully expect there to be, Hey, like if I need a more complex solution or I have a really complex problem and I need to talk about it in a little bit more detail, we absolutely should provide the opportunity to engage with the human. And this is again, where AI is never going to be able to touch this. There's just, there's too many, there's too many inputs that would have to come into it for it to make sense. And then there would have to be commonality. And the fact is, is like, a, a single customer coming in with a very complex issue, there may not be another customer that comes in with that same complex issue ever. But a human is only able to handle that input and compute it because AI looks for different types of patterns to be able to make it common, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting because when I hear you talk about like voice in particular, I think you're right. Like there, there have actually been a few times where I've been on the line with a brand that has had a very human-like voice and I couldn't tell the difference. And like, I actually got really mad. <laughs> I thought it was real. And so I started asking questions <laughs> <laughs> like that only a human could get, you know, and it didn't work. Um, I think that there's definitely advances in, in, in this technology for sure, but I think it's fascinating. I love your hot take. <laughs> I agree with it. What's your solution? God, to this? What's my solution? Uh, yeah. It's one thing to talk about the challenge, but what is the solution? Gosh, I think, I don't think I have the old, I don't have the, like, obviously I don't have the ultimate solution. If I did, I'd be in Vegas. I think a solution, a, like things that can help us overcome these challenges. I think you just mentioned one of them. There needs to be an off ramp. Like if I'm in this, I'm in this web, like I'm talking to this thing and I'm not sure if it's a robot or a person, I don't know. But at, at the end of the day, um, I got a, ta I've got a task. I need to accomplish something and my time is precious to me. And I'm tired of kind of going back and forth through a menu system or trying to talk to this robot to, to try to get there. Can I just 
you know, hit the easy button and get to a human? Or, you know, is, is there, can I just, people always gravitate to the zero button on their phone. Can I just hit the zero button so I can actually speak to an agent? That's why we have the podcast. That's literally the name of it. Spamming zero. <laughs> <laughs> if you just hit the zero button, can I just get to, can I get to somebody, somebody who can help me and get this done quickly. And uh, I think, I think that's, Giving people that alternative, uh, like an, uh, there has to be an off-ramp so that they can get to it quickly. And can it be easy to get to? Is it as simple as hitting that zero button? Or do I have to back out of the menu and go back to the previous menu who's, with the options I don't even remember? Is it three or zero? I don't know, but I'm going to just hit something. <laughs> I'm just going to keep spamming zero until I get it. I don't know. I think that's a solution. I think that's uh, it's not going to fix anything, but it, there's got to be an option for people to in, actually interact with a human as a fail safe, at least. What I'm seeing is like really three strong sentiments and segments that exist in the customer service and support world, just with inquiries in general. One, you mm -hmm. have the people that genuinely would prefer a human. That's option one. That's preference one sure. for them. But then you have another big segment of the population that prefers not to have a human and self-serve, another big part of the population. And then I think you have a third, and that's that there's this other side of the population that wants both options. I want self-serve and to be able to talk to a human, but if automation can handle it, I'd rather avoid a human altogether. And I think that as direct-to-consumer brands especially, maybe not so much B2B, but direct-to-consumer brands especially really need to have options for all three of these just simply from the standpoint of like it's a pretty massive part of the population like you're i think your millennials and and even like your boomers and like the older generations are going to want a human um no matter what that's just the reality of it i think you're going to have like a newer generation that's coming up that really actually wants both options um but would prefer to not, not even talk to a human and being at all that's how my kids are right <laughs> like i don't want to talk to a human dad don't like, I don't even want to talk to the people at my work that I work with. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's wild to me that that's how they operate, but it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're growing up in, in worlds where like how they primarily communicate is through an avatar and on social media and through their gaming platforms. And like, this is this generation growing up. And so you're going to have a healthy part of the population that's going to need to be served in all three of those segments. And as brands that are trying to serve them, you really have to provide those three options. And I'm a big believer in that because there has been far too often where I myself, I kind of sit in the middle of these three segments because I'm like, man, sometimes I just, I'm that person that hits zero right away, mm -hmm. right? But other times I'm like, man, like it's after hours. I know I'm probably not going to be able to get an agent. So let's self-serve. But then I go through the self-service options and I find out, oh, shoot, well, they don't have an option for me. Now I need to speak to a human, but it's after hours. Yeah. Why can't automation take care of my problem? You know what I mean? So there's those, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the whole journey behind some of this that I think more people have to think about. Yeah. And I think, I mean, all of that and plus, you know, what is the task to be done? What are those more common tasks that may not require as much um, as much effort? So maybe understanding what those tasks are and providing some automation there to kind of fulfill the need without as much effort because they tend to be more repetitive. It's like, what's the status of my order? And can I get the status of that? I'm going to talk to somebody. So I think it would also vary on the type of task and the, and, um, 
um, the type of interaction you're aiming for. Completely agree. Sammy, we are at time, but I always like to try to make my guests feel a little bit more personable when it comes to the listeners. So tell me about an experience that you've had with a brand that you feel like has just done it all right. Oh, man. Uh, I just had one yesterday. Uh, and this is, it's not like, it's not high tech. It's not, it doesn't have to be, you know, rocket science. It's common sense and just being, you know, relating to the people that you do business with. So there's a, a company called Simply Organic that does uh, like lawn service. So we get our lawn service here by Simply Organic. And there's a, a person, uh, Danielle, who is the person that services my area in my neighborhood and, and the surrounding neighborhoods. And so she's been the same person for like, for like, a couple of years, right? She's just, this is her job. And she makes it an effort. It may be a, a company thing. I don't know. Or maybe it's a Danielle thing. I don't, I don't know. I don't really care. All I know is that Danielle knows that I've got a dog who tends to be let out in the backyard in a fenced in backyard every once in a while, especially in the mornings. And Danielle is making a, she's, she knows she's going to be making her rounds and she sends me a text message letting me know, Hey, I'm going to be in your neighborhood. Uh, tomorrow, I'll probably hit your house around 8.30, maybe 9 o'clock, uh, give or take. I uh, just wanted to give you a heads up. Okay, cool. No problem. Well, so that's like, it's like clockwork. Danielle shows up like usually 8.30, 9 o'clock whenever she, the day after she sends me that text message, uh, except this past week, she didn't show up. Uh, but before she didn't, like before her scheduled time, she sent me a text message letting me know that, hey, I've got an abscessed tooth. Uh, I got to go to the dentist uh, right away and I'm not going to make it to your house. No problem. I mean, take care of yourself, Daniel. I hope you get better. And sure enough, a couple of days later, she sends me a text message. Hey, uh, I took care of that thing and um, I'm going to be around your house. Uh, sorry about the delay, but I'm going to be at your house uh, tomorrow. Can you you know, make sure the dog's not inside for two hours or something like that? Yeah, no problem, Daniel. I sent her a text message back. She said, thanks. Thanks for your flexibility on this. Like she's thanking me. I just, I thought that was a real personal experience. It didn't take much effort. And uh, it's a level of consistency that I don't see too often from very many brands, whether it's B2C or B2B. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be rocket science. And when something goes wrong, acknowledge that something has gone wrong uh, or hasn't gone to the expectation and make it your best effort to correct that expectation or reset the expectation. And that's everything Danielle did for me. She kept me informed, kept to a regular cadence. And when there was an interruption, an unanticipated interruption to the regular cadence, she just let me know. No problem. I love it. It's pro it's proactive too, which is, yeah. you know, a whole nother topic that we could dive into. Oh, Sammy, yeah. you've been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Every single week, we're going to do a new episode. And who knows? We may, just, we may be crazy and do extras. Who knows? But uh, you can find us every week here at Spamming Zero. Go to your Apple, your Spotify, wherever you will find your listening platform. We're even on IMDb. Can you believe that? And go subscribe to us. Give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. If you reach out to me on LinkedIn and you want to have somebody on the show, um, or maybe you think there'd be a good guest, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from them.